0: Good morning. I don't, I don't know when it happened, uh, but I went through a, a, a change, significant change, not that change. This isn't a puberty talk. You're fine. <laughs> but there, the point came, You appreciate you laughing, James. The point came when I realized I needed to be completely dark when I sleep, like completely dark. Like if my wife's phone goes off and I'm in bed, it's like, oh, it's so bright. Why would you do that? So so dark that, that we will travel when we visit our families with blackout curtains, which sounds like I'm trying to be funny, but really it's just a, a sad, honest revelation. <laughs> and I don't know when that happened, because I didn't grow up that way. Like, I didn't love the dark when I was a kid. Like, kids don't love the dark. Kids are afraid of the dark. That's why the whole nightlight industry exists. In fact, if you want to know how much kids don't like the dark, accidentally turn the light off in a room that they're in and see how that goes. I would say the response does, does not match the, uh, the situation. When I put my girls to bed every night, they ask me to crack the door. And what I've realized now is that in their minds, there is a scientific measurement that, that means crack, like there is a specific distance that crack means. And if it's a little bit too close, they're like, no, it's too, it's too dark. Why would you do that? They don't love the dark. And we're wired that way if, we're, if, if we think about it. I mean, I was reading a, a journal, a psychology journal this week that says that's kind of wired into who we are. Some of that's a survival mechanism. We don't love the dark. Good stuff doesn't always happen in the dark. And frankly, bad stuff often does. I read a story about a Washington, D.C. putting up new uh, LED lights in a high crime area because where there's less light, bad stuff was happening. Light's a big deal and we don't love the darkness. I read a story uh, last year. A group of researchers built this laser. It's a really impressive laser that revealed new properties of light. And I don't even know what that means, but it's this crazy laser that put out a light that was one billion times brighter than the sun. That is a light you do not want to look directly into, because you will never look at anything again. But that's bright, a billion times brighter than the sun. As we continue our series, At Last, talking about Christmas and the way that Jesus had been promised, even back in the Old Testament, all the way back then, we're going to look at a light this morning, at at a light that is even greater than that. We're going to start looking at Isaiah chapter 8. Jerry talked about Isaiah chapter 7 last week. Talked about Emmanuel, God with us, this this promised king. Now, Isaiah is a prophet, and a prophet is just someone that God is specifically using to speak for him to his people. That God is using a prophet to communicate his message to his people. There's no magic involved. God's just using them to communicate for him. And Isaiah chapter 8 is pretty bleak. Israel has put its faith in the wrong things. And they're looking for political solutions to spiritual problems. In chapter 8, we read things like, people who contradict his words are completely in the dark. There will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Because Israel is worried about their enemies. The Assyrian Empire is close. They've conquered a lot of this region to the north. And they're worried about what's going to happen. And because God has not been doing for them what they wanted, because God hasn't been acting for them in the way they want him to, they've lost faith. And they've looked for other things to trust instead. They've turned away from God. And they stopped trusting him to care for them and protect them and instead have turned to idol worship and political alliances to protect themselves. And it's in that context... That we read the verses we're going to look at this morning Isaiah 9, verses 1 to 2. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You might be wondering, who are Zebulon and Naphtali, and why are their names like that? Well, I'm going to show you a map to give you some context of where this is taking place. Uh, Zebulon and Naphtali are two of the twelve tribes of Israel, and their land, where their tribal lands are, is up in the north, so right near the Sea of Galilee and to the north. And that's where the Assyrian army would come from. Now, when it talks about darkness here, this is a big deal. This darkness really means two things. On one hand, it means that the coming invasion by the Assyrian king Tiglath-Pileser III, who, if you're keeping score at home, happens to be my second favorite Assyrian king, uh, just ahead of Sennacherib and below Shalmaneser. That's how nerdy I am. So they're worried about this impending invasion and are trying to to build alliances to protect themselves. So this darkness means this this army, this empire that is threatening them. But there's another level of darkness. There's a spiritual darkness that ultimately it's an emptiness that they can't find the answers they want and so they turn turn to other things and those things don't have the answers either and it just spirals down into this emptiness. But there's hope in that. Because once we see that situation established, that there is this darkness and there's this despair, hope comes in. That Isaiah says that place that had been filled with darkness and despair will be filled, again, but with something different. It'll be filled with glory. That God will remove the darkness and despair and instead fill it with glory, fill it with his awesomeness, fill it with, with his His incredible love, fill it with His presence. Like God is going to fill that with something greater. And we see here that the people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And I love that because the people who walk in darkness don't find a great light or create a great light. They see a great light. A great light enters and they see it. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine, a light will dawn, a light will rise. Those are hopeful words. You ever been in a cave? Like a real cave, like a big cave. Not like a little cave like you dug a hole and stuck your head in or like something at the beach, but like a, real, like a real big cave. A friend of mine went spelunking in Mammoth Cave, and she was telling me this week, until I went in the cave and they turned off the lights, I didn't realize what total darkness was. I mean, it's dark. It's real dark, right? It's so dark. You can feel it. This is a powerful image. Darkness is heavy. It's uncomfortable. It feels awkward. We don't know what's going on, we can't see what's taking place. Where do you feel like there's darkness in your life? Where do you feel hopeless? Where do you wonder, where's the way out? In darkness, our eyes are drawn to light. Right now, you're looking around at the different light that's here. We want to see light because we know that darkness isn't where we're supposed to be. And it's into that darkness that God sent his light, a great light, And it wasn't just a billion times brighter than the sun. It was so powerful and and so strong that it shone throughout all of history, all of time, illuminating everything that came before it and everything that was to come, a light of love and hope and rescue. This light points us to Christmas, to the time when Jesus would enter the world as the fulfillment to God's perfect plan to rescue his people. Folks, Jesus is that light that God sent. We see that in Matthew chapter 4 in the New Testament. It quotes these verses where Jesus is starting his public ministry. He's starting his public ministry and he's starting in the Galilee, in that region of of Zebulun and Naphtali. And verse 14 of chapter 4 says, This fulfilled what God said through the prophet Isaiah. In the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, beside the sea, beyond the Jordan River, in Galilee, where so many Gentiles live. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. Jesus is that light. And we're going to talk about light and darkness this morning. And and as we get started, I want to just define those for you. That light here is the truth about God's love as is shown through Jesus. It's truth and rightness and goodness that God has shown us and manifested through Jesus. And darkness is our rebellion And our spiritual confusion where we think we can find good apart from God. That darkness is really, is our sin. We're going to look at what the light does in Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. The first thing we see is that light reveals, darkness hides. Light reveals and darkness hides. Light shows the harsh reality that darkness covers up. Light shows what truly is, not what we wish it was right? I think this hits me when I think back to to being a kid and cleaning my room. I'm not a disgusting dirtball of a human being, I promise. Uh, I'm not like super tidy. I'm okay with a certain level of cleanly sort of disheveledness. I think I just made a word up. I'm not leaving like food on the floor face down, but like, I, you know, I'm not folding every piece of clothing or making the bed because you're just going to get back in that night. And so when I think back to, to having to clean my room when I was a kid before my parents let me out of the house, like, the goal was what's the least amount I need to do in order to be done, right? You know what that's like, right? Just me? The rest of you are like, no, I was doing everything I was asked to do. Whatever, you know. What's the minimum amount required of cleaning for me to do in order for me to be done? And so what you do is you you pull the shades, turn the lights off, and you play the angles, right? It's like, okay, there's a shadow there. So like everything from here over is in the dark and I'm fine. I just got to kind of clean this area and kind of just organize over here. And then I tell my mom I'm done and she'd come in. And it's like I forgot who she was because the first thing she'd do is like, oh, it's dark in here. Let me turn some lights on. You're like, no! No! because she turns the lights on and it's like every it's like the pile you shoved under the chair is shown the pile like i've i put under the bed is there like she can see everything light reveals those things we try and hide we don't want our stuff to be revealed we don't want it revealed we all have stuff we all have things about ourselves that we hate we all have things about ourselves that we struggle with that we wish were different maybe for you it's past failures Maybe it's something you feel inadequate about. Maybe it's a way you've hurt someone else. Maybe it's really people finding out how selfish you truly are. Maybe it's a painful relationship or a sin you struggle with or a lifestyle or behavior, an addiction. We all have those things that we want to hide and we try very, very hard to keep away from other people. We feel anxious about that stuff because we don't want to be embarrassed. And if we're honest, I think often we're fearful. What will people think if they find out? Because if that stuff were known, we feel laid bare. We feel exposed. It's humiliating. We care very much how we're seen. It's humbling to have your worst exposed. That can lead to guilt and to shame. Being stuck in that cycle where we just feel overwhelmed by what we've done and we can't get out of that. Folks, we're creatures of habit that enjoy comfort even if it's an unhealthy reality. Sometimes the wrong things have become comfortable. We know they're bad, but they're what we know, and we don't want to give up that, that comfort. We don't want to give up that familiarity. We don't want to lose the illusion that everything's fine, even though that we know that it isn't. We can play dumb with ourselves, try and hide it from others to convince ourselves that others don't know that it's not real. We're often good at pretending that something isn't a thing but pretending something isn't a thing doesn't make it not a thing. Hiding is bad for us. We keep in the dark this stuff that we're ashamed of and it just eats at us. It poisons us from the inside out. Light reveals. Light reveals. It brings that stuff to the surface. Sometimes we get stuck believing lies about ourselves or lies about God, lies like I'll never be good enough or no one could ever love me or I couldn't possibly be forgiven for this or God must be so disappointed in me. He must want nothing to do with me. The light reveals those lies and brings them to the surface. And sometimes God reveals things that we don't even know about ourselves. Areas of struggle or weakness that we couldn't quite put our finger on. Light reveals. Darkness hides. Second thing that light does that's important is light frees. Darkness suppresses. Light frees. Like we just talked about, sometimes we experience darkness because of circumstances, just because of what we're going through, through, through no fault of our own, and we struggle with that. Sometimes it's because of bad decisions we've made, and we reap the consequences of those. And Other times it's because of those lies that we believe. Often it's rooted in this idea of selfishness that we don't really want to change, because letting God in means admitting that something is wrong. We can think, okay, now I have to do something about it. Now I have to change, and that can be intimidating or discouraging. But folks, the hope of Jesus, the hope of of the good news of the gospel is that Jesus wants to change us. We need to get out of his way. When we're driven by the wrong things, when we're we're trapped in darkness, those wrong things serve as motivation that's greater than the grace and mercy and love that that God has for us and the obedience that we're called to, to live out. Folks, this is important. Light has to reveal the dark parts of our heart in order for us to be free from it. Light has to reveal the dark parts of our heart in order for us to be free from it. A doctor can't treat an illness that you don't know you have. The first step is the diagnosis. It's understanding what that is and letting it come to the surface so that we can begin to release our grip on it and allow God to heal it. I understand that that can be incredibly hard. I understand that. I struggle with that. There are things about myself that I desperately wish were different. There's things that I wish I could change tomorrow about my character. The, those moments where I have failed as a husband or a father or a friend, those moments where I, I feel inadequate, and I don't want other people to know because, man, what, what if people know what a mess that I am? And I'm fearful of those things. And when I hold on to it, when I, when I hide it, I am giving it power in my life and in my heart, and it is poisoning me from the inside. We have to let God reveal the dark parts of our heart in order so that He can free us from it. It's hard, but that's the path to freedom. This is where Isaiah gets really, really hopeful because chapter 8 paints this gloomy picture, right? But chapter 9 says, sure, okay, fine, things may be, but not for long. Not for long. Isaiah verse 9 verse 1 says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. Will not go on forever. God is moving into this. The people that have lived in darkness, who walk in darkness, will see a great light. God is bringing his light to bear here. The darkness is not final. A time is coming when it will end forever. And folks, the hope is that the light reveals those things that God already knows. We spend this effort in denying things are true when God already knows that. The picture that I love here is that these people didn't ask for the light. They didn't seek it out. God, in his wisdom, in his mercy, in his love, said, I am bringing my light to bear on your lives because I love you. Not because you've done anything to earn or deserve it. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. That darkness is not final because God moves into our story When all human efforts fail, God steps in. Jesus tells us in John 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we see Isaiah talking about this light that is coming, what he's pointing to is Jesus. What he's pointing to is God's rescuer who's coming. That light is entering the world. God God does this for us. The fact that the light of God shines in the darkest places means that his light will always chase away darkness. Jesus is God flipping on the light switch for us. Jesus is God flipping on the light switch for us. God does this not because he has to, but because he chooses to, because he loves us. What he's saying to us is, I'm not okay with your story ending here. This is not your final chapter. Light reveals, light frees, and the last thing that we see is that light guides us in. Light guides us in, darkness lures us away. Light beckons us, it welcomes us, it calls us home. Light doesn't bolster our confidence on its own. The presence of light bolsters our confidence, it encourages us. And what I mean by that is this. The reality that light exists somewhere in the world doesn't do you much good when you're in darkness. What matters is when light is there, making the dark things bright, right? The idea of light doesn't really help you out. What helps you out is the presence of light. And Jesus has stepped into our world and stepped into time to live our experience, to to understand what we go through, to die the death we should have died so that we can be rescued. But he doesn't just rescue us, he leads us forward. Think of it like this. If you're flying at night and you want to come land, the air traffic controller doesn't give you your, your runway vector and then shut the lights off in the airport and say good luck. That would not be cool. They light the runway up if you're flying in. They light the runway up. They want to show you the way. Land this way. Here's where you go. They want to make this as easy as possible. Come this way. That's what Jesus does on our behalf. When we go our own way, when we think we know better, when we trust our own perspective and understanding, we head further into darkness. When we follow Jesus, we head into light. I love how he says that in in, in John 8, verse 12. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. He's not just the light that sets us free. He's the light that leads us home. Are you following Jesus. He leads us out of darkness. Are you following after him? So what does that look like for us if if we're not? What does it look like to follow him? How do we follow? If he's guiding us, how do we follow that? I think that's that's great. I got three things I want you to think about for that. We're going to get to in a second. The first sort of idea that undergirds this whole thing is start with the willingness to be honest with ourselves, right? What are the dark parts of your life? What are the dark parts of your heart? What are the areas that you're unwilling to, to surrender to God? What are the areas you hold on to? I read this book to my kids called Sign of the Seahorse. I love this book. It's got great illustrations, and it's got a great rhyme scheme, and that's wonderful because if you have to read the same book a hundred times, it's nice if it can hold your attention as well. And it's about, the two sort of main characters are Grotman Grouper and Corporal Burt. Grotman Grouper is a grouper. Corporal Burt is a crab and Grotman is this shady businessman who the reef they live on is dying and so he's gotten this other reef and he's selling off these plots at exorbitant prices and he's trying to make a, a profit off of, off of the, the misery and nobody can figure out what's going on with the reef and so Corporal Burt goes on this mission and finds out that below the reef there's a barrel of poison that's been leaking out and killing the reef. And so Bert takes his mighty crab claw and Squeezes it shut and cuts off the poison leak, and and the reef comes back to life. What's poisoning your reef? What's below the surface? What's causing you to fear? What's causing you to live selfishly? What's causing you to think you know better than God? What's causing your anxiety? What's causing your shame? What's causing your guilt? What is that? What's underneath? Because that's what God wants to get after. There's three things that we're going to look at. Light interacts with matter in three specific ways, ways that can be very helpful for us when it comes to how we should interact with Jesus. And the first is this absorb the light. Absorb the light. Where do you need the light? Where do you need Jesus to reveal those dark things in your heart and free you from them? Absorb Jesus. Take him in and let him change you. When light is absorbed by matter, it changes the matter. The molecules move faster, heat is created. Matter doesn't absorb light and stay the same, it's fundamentally different. How do you absorb Jesus? How do you take him in? Absorb means it, it, it comes in and it becomes like a part of you. It's not just something that passes by. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, what I want you to hear me say is that's our hope, that you would absorb him, that you would come to know how deeply loved you are, that you would wrestle through those questions, that what's that darkness and what's underneath it? What are you allowing to outweigh the truth that you are fully known and yet loved Perfectly. If you're here and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, what what I want you to hear me say is that absorbing the light is not something that's just for those who don't yet know Jesus. That we need to constantly be absorbing Jesus. We need that constantly. It's not just a one time thing, it's a constant thing. We got our kids these these cheap glow in the dark stickers that you, you can put above your bed. You know what I'm talking about? My kids love them. My son has them up above his bed. And uh, before he, often before he goes to battle, he'll ask, can I, can I charge them? He's, Daddy, can I charge the stars? And what he means is, I mean, they're just, they're not great stars, and you have to keep a light on them for like 15 minutes to get like seven seconds of glow. They have to constantly be charged, constantly be charged in order to work. They lose their effectiveness the longer they go without light, and that is true for us. There are times it is easy for us to act as followers of Jesus, and I don't know I'm guilty of this too, to say, well, I was charged once seven and a half years ago, so I'm fine. Listen, I don't know what crazy glow stars you're getting that were charged once seven and a half years ago, and they're fine, but I would like them as well. Because this is just not how they work. We need to constantly be absorbing him. That's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. Jesus. To know him, to spend time with him, like Adam mentioned earlier, the Ridge Reading Challenge. To learn more about who he is, to allow the reality of God and and the ways shown he's loved us through his son Jesus to fill our lives. Second thing we do is reflect the light. Reflect the light. On most nights, what's the brightest object in the sky? The moon. But the moon has no light of its own. The moon doesn't shine. There's really no such thing as moonlight. That's light that is reflected from the sun. It's light from another source that is redirected. Reflect back to God what came from him to begin with. That's what it means to reflect the light. That's really what worship is. Thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Praising him for how he's loved you for what he's done in your lives. Remember, we talked about thankfulness two weeks ago. How are you doing with that? We're not quick to think of being thankful, but how are you doing with with being thankful to God? How are you doing with purposefully saying, God, I thank you for all that you've done. And, And no matter what's going on in your life, at the very least, you can be thankful for how much he loves you. A thought. You'll see a lot of Christmas lights up right now. Maybe you're the kind of person that wants to decorate every square inch of your house with Christmas lights and you want to drive around and see other people's Christmas lights. Or maybe you're the people that can only think about the electricity bill. Either way, we're glad you're here. When you drive around and see Christmas lights this month, what if you use those lights to remind you of the greater light? What if you use those lights as a reminder Of how much God loves you. What if you use those lights? Every time you saw them, you took a moment to pray and just say, God, I am so thankful for whatever you want to say, for who you are, for how you love me, for the ways you bless me, for my family, for my job, whatever that is for you. What if you took that opportunity to reflect the light of Jesus? Last thing is transmit the light. Light's absorbed, it's reflected back, and then it's transmitted. It passes through and moves on to something else. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus, right? To live that out, to be so impacted and and changed by Jesus that we can't help but live that truth out, to allow that light to shine through us. I love how Paul talks about it in Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. He says, follow my example as I follow Christ. He's living this truth out and saying, hey, you can follow me, not because of who I am or what I know, but because of who I follow. If you want to think about it like this, if you're out hiking and it's dark, and you're stumbling your way through, wouldn't you want to help those behind you by turning your flashlight backwards? I mean, that's what we're talking about, shining your light back on the path so those behind you can follow it. Does your life show this light? Transmitting the light means living it out in what you think, and what you say, and what you do. Allowing Jesus to change the way you function. Allowing Jesus to work in and through you. Allow Jesus to change your perspective. Man, that's what I want to be true for me. A couple things I want you to think about as we close. Where does your story feel hopeless? Where have you given up? What do you feel like you can't change? When shame and guilt and fear drag you down, what balances the scales? What gets put on the other side to lift you back up? Because the darkness isn't final. Our hope is that when darkness starts to creep in, there's a way out that you realize and remember that you're not stuck. All you need to do is follow the light home.